Welcome to the Positive Sports Podcast. I'll be your host this afternoon, Ed Montana. As you can see alongside me today, I don't have my brother Alex as normal. Instead, I have my buddy Victor Rodriguez from Bloody Elbow. For those of you who don't know Bloody Elbow, it's an MMA online MMA magazine. Is that a fair way to uh, uh, describe it? Yeah, we've been called an online karate magazine at one point, so I guess we can go with that. Sure, why not? Yeah. So, as you can well imagine, today it's not going to be about all the normal stick and ball sports. It's going to be a lot of MMA talk between Victor and I. Hey, Victor, before we get started, why don't you uh, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a background on you, where you're from, and how you got into this MMA thing? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was I was born in New York, and I moved to Dominican Republic, and. Uh, you know, maybe 13, 14. And um, basically, you know, this was this was the mid 90s. It was kind of hard for you to be able to watch the earlier UFCs. It was um, if you if you're if you're old enough <laughs> and I'm, I know we're, we're dating ourselves here um, for you to be able to watch on VHS, no less, because, I mean, even though Betamax was a superior format, it didn't hold much on that taste. But for you to watch this stuff, you know, you had to be like at a very specific uh, rental place. And, you know, they'd, they'd hide, they'd stash the fight stuff where the, the porn stuff was or like with faces of death. You had to know somebody or trade tapes with somebody. It was a hassle. Right. So um, you didn't have the same kind of freedoms that you have now. So I, I, I was instantly. Um, thrilled at seeing this thing because like this was real fighting you know i grew up watching bruce lee and jean-claude van damme and jackie chan and you you think this is okay this is fighting you love watching fight movies but you're not really used to seeing people actually throw hands you don't really know what that's like and you get a very rude awakening so the early ufcs were a very obscure thing that i kind of gravitated to but i didn't really get to see much of and then the early odds come around and i'm living in dominican republic and Every once in a while, if you just roll the dice and you put certain channel on, they'd have a few fights on from Pride. And Pride is a different beast because as a massive pro wrestling fan, this is like, this was to me something of a bridge. Number one, they're in a ring, but number two, they're actually doing suplexes and shit. Like they're doing stuff that you didn't really see as much in the UFC and the aesthetic was much cleaner and, and brighter. And, you know, these guys were presented as true stars, whereas in the UFC, it was like they were recording it under a barn somewhere you know what i mean it was just weird like if it wasn't the ufc it was some other also ran organization that was putting on these these um just just very uh grungy dirty looking i i get what they were going for with that but it just wasn't appealing to me but pride had this thing going and uh, i became as big a fan as i am now largely because of that and now once i moved back to the states i kind of start getting bored with pro wrestling and getting much more into MMA. And I couldn't really hold the attention. My attention span wouldn't allow me to follow both. So I just stuck with MMA and uh, yeah, I, I gravitated to a little site called bloody elbow. I was just commenting and became a moderator and then uh, uh, an analyst uh, doing previews. And now I'm also a writer doing podcasting. That's awesome. That, that's great. It's funny. Um, you know, we're, I, I don't actually know how old you are and I'm not going to ask you on air cause I know, you know, some people like to protect that. Kind I'm not of telling. <laughs> some people like to protect that's that okay. kind of information, but I actually stumbled onto MMA through the ultimate fighter. So, um, my wife was pregnant with my son and of course she wanted to sleep all the time and I couldn't sleep cause I was always nervous. 
So I would watch a lot of the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. And to see those actual fights, again, like you, right? I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I watched a lot of those kung fu movies on Saturday afternoon uh, on TV and, you know, boxing on ABC's Wide World of Sports. And then it kind of went away and it just kind of morphed into wrestling, which is obviously fake fighting. Um, and then when I got the Ultimate Fighter and I got back to seeing some real fighting, I was like, wow. In fact, my son was born the Thursday before the first Ultimate Fighter finale. Uh, oh, wow. not, not, the, not the actual finale, the pay-per-view, right, where Liddell right, 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 right. met. Where the so, coaches, yes. Yeah, where the coaches fought, right? And so me, being the wonderful father and husband that I am, I brought my son home from the hospital, you know, made sure everything was cozy in the house, and then went to the local bar to watch the oh, pay-per-view and smoke cigars with a couple of buddies and watch fights. And, you know, to this day, here we are, 250 UF numbered UFCs, right, the pay-per-views, 250-something of them, and I go out every single one. I go out to a bar, and it is uh, – it is it, – it is, truly a melting pot right i'm a runner i have a job i've got other friends you know my son plays baseball i've got friends through there and that's the one place where they all come together so i got one of my running buddies shows up uh my son's baseball coach shows up my brother shows up i've just got all these people they're all connected to me but then they all come because they all like watching the fights and we all sit at a bar and watch the fights once a month it's 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 really uh you know, and, and I love it. I, I, I love it. it yeah. you know, I hate to sound like a UFC uh, shill here, but it's as real as it gets, no, right? No, not, not at all, no. But I, I get what you mean. There's a sense of, look, there's, it, it's more than just the fights themselves. There's a communal experience and a sense of, cer- a, a sense of ceremony and, 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 uh, and companionship there. Like, I don't have that. So, I mean, you know, it's like, it, I'm, I'm happy to hear that for you, that's an experience. Because I used to actually, um, we used to live in an apartment building in West Philly. And we didn't have cable back then because it just wasn't worth it at the time for the, uh, the cost and everything. And the cabling was old. So all we had was DSL. So mm-hmm. watching a p- uh, pay-per-view on you know, online was just not worth it at the time. And I uh, was off on Saturday night. So what I would do was I'd go down to Applebee's in Center City, <laughs> down on 15th <laughs> Street. They were actually allowing to, um, they, they were, you know, they'd have things. I'd order some wings, have a Guinness. And that was kind of cool. You know, maybe every once in a while I'd meet somebody who had a, more of an idea what it was. There weren't too many dedicated people. Um, the fullest I ever saw that place was Brock Lesnar fighting Cain Velasquez. And that was actually, my wife came with me to that one. Cause she's not really like, she, it, it's weird for someone who doesn't really watch or follow this more like that. She understands it a lot better than some people that do every day. Right. But that's, that's another, that's another combo, but it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, you had that place, like so you stopped showing fights at Applebee's. I stopped going to Applebee's and life changed. And eventually you get your own, you know, you start buying the events or whatever, or not buying them, wink. Um, but it's, it's, it's cool that you have that, that avenue there and that you've sort of, and this is, this is a while ago, this is over 10 years ago. So there's um, this, this sort of thing just keeps growing. You have, I assume you take, you'll be able to take your son once he's allowed to go in and, yeah. uh, to join you at the bar. And that'll be, that'll be a cool thing to add as well. So that's, that's, um, um, that made me happy to hear. I'm, I'm glad that that's the thing you have. You know, it's funny, uh, he had, he sees me heading out on a Saturday night, you know, especially when he was a little bit younger, he's 14 now, now he knows he's not going, 
but when he was eight or ten years old he's like hey can i go and i'm like nah son this ain't this ain't your kind of place kid they don't have a playground here so you're not allowed to go A playground that has a beer tap that would that that'll right. work, yeah. That's, that's cool. right. Yeah, it's no, like this isn't the Kool Aid Man. The Kool Aid Man got Hennessy in him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's you know, and it's great. It's I got I got some friends that I only see once a month, and it's for the fights. You know, he I got a buddy. Yeah. I got one particular buddy that he makes it out to all the fights. He's a huge UFC fan as well, and I only see him once a month. It's for the fight. So it's it's really become yeah. a, a glue to uh, some of my friends that I. I really enjoy and really wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, hey, look, yeah, well, we just got through a nutty 2020. I know I'm the first person to say that. No one else has said that 2020 was crazy. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to say it yeah. here first. And uh, the UFC was no different. The UFC certainly not immune to um, the global pandemic that, that we're, we experienced in 2020 and really continue to experience now. Um, yeah. Just just off the top of your head, your favorite fight of 2020. Oh, that's easy. That's, uh, it's got to be Wiley Jean versus Joanna. I mean, that's just uh, – everything was out there. You know, true grit, heart, determination, technique, everything, man. I, I really thought that Joanna – I don't want to say that, like, she's not – you know, I don't think she's shot, but a lot of her game had been figured out. A lot of the talent had finally caught up to her in terms of technique, in terms of athleticism, in terms of having coaches that are able to accurately break down her game and prepare their fighters to be able to take her out. Look, when, when Rose Namajunas knocked her out, I didn't see it coming. Well, fair enough. You wanted to see it either. But the point is, the point is that that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay, the game really, as it does with everyone, where it catches up to everyone, like that's when it really, really uh, was, was branded in my brain. Like, that's it. This division is wide open right now. And then you saw that there was the rematch with Rose. Rose won. It was close, but it was a, a lovely fight. It was just just arguably uh, one of the best women's fights of all time. Uh, that's followed by Andrade taking the belt and then Wiley taking the belt. And it's not necessarily a matter of there being a level of chaos in the division. But it's just a sense that that's how good they are. You know, the UFC brought in women off the back of Ronda Rousey at 135, but real talent the real majority of the true like the, the wealth and concentration of talent in women's mma is at 115 and you could yeah. argue as well as 105 uh but of course usc is not going to pay any any sort of uh, attention to that yeah it's look i i agree with you uh, i thought it was funny at the end of the year when we got the awesome draw between Davidson Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, how people started talking about that being the greatest fight of the year. And I was like, look, I understand that it just happened a day ago, but y'all can't forget what happened back in March or February, whenever that was, whenever uh, Whaley Zhang and Joanna put on just a, just a masterful performance. And to go a step further with Joanna, um, you know, we saw it happen to Ronda Rousey where she came in, and, you know, she had, you know, there's a little something different about her style that's not quite MMA, right? She's got that judo background that kind of makes her a bit of an anomaly, even in, like, even if she was on the male side, she would be a bit of an anomaly, kind of like a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, where the style is just so different that it, it, it kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out. But you add in the, um, the talent gap, and she was dominant in a time where there really wasn't much there. 
And I thought maybe the same thing might happen to Joanna after, especially after the first Rose fight where she kind of chalked it up to weight cutting problems and, and stuff like that. I thought, Oh, you know, this sounds like she's going down that path, you know, but she's come back. She's rebuilt herself. She lost again to Rose in a very close fight and then lost a, a close fight with Valentina. Not, I mean, not razor thin, but still lost another fight to Valentina, yeah. but put up a great fight. And then that fight with Wiley yeah. Zhang. Wow. I mean, I knew what that, what, what Joanna was in terms of talented and tough, but I didn't know that much about Wiley Zhang. She just hadn't been out there that much. I knew she was very athletic and certainly could hit like a, like a ton of bricks. But man, that that performance she put on with Joanna, I I thought she won the fight pretty. To me, it was pretty clear that she won the fight. I thought it was easy, three two. Um, but it was still there were some rounds in there that were very close. Could have swung the other way, I guess, especially with MMA judging. But at the end of the day, just incredible technique, incredible grit, incredible courage. Because looking at Joanna's head, uh, it it takes courage to walk back out there, you know, like uh, I've always said it's yeah, not she a, had the, she had the lumps like this. She, she had the Hellboy stumps. Yeah. I mean, Both of them like, on one side, basically. She looked like a Martian. I mean, it was, it was terrible. And, and I've often said this about, uh, about anything that's difficult. Doing it the first time is not difficult. It's going back the second time and knowing what you're in for. And for Joanna to go into that fight with Wiley and continue to fight and press forward in the third, fourth, and fifth round, after having been through tough five-round wars with Rose and with Valentina, it to me that just that takes a whole new level of courage, right? Like it's kind of like going to the doctor, right? When you get the first shot, you're like, oh crap, that hurts. And then when you have to go back for the second shot, it's like, well, wait a minute, hold on. I know this is going to hurt <laughs> and I want no part of it. Yeah. And that's what you want to yeah. do. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. Um, on the men's side, since, since we agreed on that one, what would you say is the fight of 2020 and on the men's side? I don't, that's a tougher one, I guess. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I have to say like my, my favorite performance of the year was Adesanya versus Costa. Now, it's not a close fight. I wouldn't say it's the fight of the year. It's just my favorite singular performance that stood out for various reasons. You have the narrative of this, this bully, because let's face it, that's what Costa is, and there's no yeah. ifs, ands, or buts regarding that. Taking on this slick and smooth young dude who's been a passionate martial artist from an early age, but he's also got this, you know, he's got this brat attitude because, you know, his outwardly facing persona is one thing, but then you see him revere his parents and show the proper uh, cultural reverence to them. Like there's, there's, there's layers to this guy. He feels so real. And yet yeah. somehow at the same time has all of these superstar qualities and he comes in with a fair amount of hype. First performance in the UFC, you know, impressive, not super stunning, but then after that, he just starts styling on dudes. Brunson called him skinny punishes him now Costa ends up calling him skinny and it's like oh okay we're gonna see what's really good and we saw that this powerhouse Brazilian who was built like a G.I. Joe who looks like a million bucks once he ran out of answers for that one two and he realized he couldn't just bum rush this guy you realize that there were levels to this game. You realize that that level of fight IQ, whereas our, my buddy Eddie Mercado calls it fight IQ, you know what I mean? Like, 
once you see that and you understand, okay, now you see this sense of dread on Casa's face when he's found that he has these limitations as a mortal. You understand that there's just something very visceral about that to me. There was so much that was unspoken yet was very loud to me. And that, that, that moment that didn't even, that these fights that didn't even, or these rounds that didn't even go the whole, the whole way. Like something about that just really, really resonated with me very strongly. And then seeing the way that uh, Adesanya put him away and almost made it look like nothing in the final sequence, you know, not yeah. the entirety fight, just that final last, you know, minute and a half. He was just pulling away and he knew it, man. He made sure with his body language that he was letting this guy know that he wasn't on that level. And that just, I, I can't really put it into words. It was just, it's the sentiment that I would have when I'd see Anderson Silva stunning on some of the opposition that he really shined against. Like when he fought Yushin Okami, you know, not necessarily when he put Okami away, but that, that final few seconds of the first round, when he just when when it became very clear that he had processed everything Okami did, and he saw that he, this guy is nothing but really solid, having a good double, and he let him know again. He you know moved and he shucked and he kicked, and when he landed that final head kick at the end of the round, almost at the bell, you said, "Oh, oh no, <laughs> the fight yeah. isn't over." But the tide and the momentum were very heavily in, on one end, and and Adesanya had exactly that, um, and that's I think to me, the singular most intense and, and brilliant performance for that when you take all of these things considered in the aggregate, you know? Um, but as far as like a close fight that I can think, I mean, I'd probably say Dustin versus uh, Dan Hooker. Oh. That was a, a, a very um, prolonged battle of attrition that I, I really, you know, I, I was going for Dustin as much as I love both of them. I really felt that Dustin was going to win it. I felt it was his time, but Man, it was it was tough. It was tough to watch because he didn't want either either guy to lose. Yeah, yeah. Look, when you use big words like visceral, you almost changed my mind that it was Adesanya Costa. <laughs> but for me, uh, that Justin Gaethje Tony Ferguson fight, uh, maybe, and part of it, I guess, is the the circumstances, right? It was kind of the first pay per view back from the pandemic, and um, and and while it wasn't particularly close we did have some moments where we thought Ferguson would win early in the fight. He stunned Justin Gaethje a couple times. Um, but then again, you see Justin Gaethje, a guy who, uh, you know, just a true warrior, the kind of guy that really belonged. Remember the UFC pay-per-views uh, years ago where they had the guy in the Coliseum, you know, dressed in the old Roman gladiator <laughs> garb with the dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the kind I of warrior that, that Justin God. Gaethje was, right? And then on the other side, to see Tony Ferguson not only withstand that, but to continue to push forward. I mean, the guy really didn't take any steps back until the very end when he was literally knocked out on his feet. And when the fight was stopped, and it was to me stopped probably 20 seconds too late. So it's not like it was stopped early. The guy never went yeah, down. Yeah. You know, Ferguson yeah. never hit the deck. He took every single beat, bit of that beating from, uh, from Justin Gaethje and did not go down, which to me was incredible. So for both guys, it, it was, you know, just an incredible fight. The, the Poirier hooker fight that you mentioned was great. Um, going back to Adesanya, you know, 
Adesanya does have a little bit of that Anderson Silva quality to him where he figures it out in the first round or so of a fight. And then you can, there's a point in almost all of his fights, except for you all Romero, because you all kind of didn't come to fight, but in almost all of his fights, there's a moment in time where you can literally see Adesanya go, okay, I, I, I've got this, I've got this puzzle figured out. Let me just put the final pieces together. He did the same thing to Robert Whitaker. And the only reason he didn't finish it in the first round is because he figured it out at the very tail end of that first round. And you just knew going into the second round that Robert Whitaker was, uh, was not going to be there for the long haul. And, and that's a, that's, one tough son of a bitch, you know, and he, yeah. he made him look, I mean, he made him look easy, really. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of talk from Costa in his camp about, you know, maybe he had some issues and this, that, and wanting to run it back. <laughs> <laughs> I understand there's a bit of a language barrier there, but. No, 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 there's not. <laughs> no, there's not. No, just, you know, you know, they know what they're doing, bro. Trust me. Like, no, I, I, no, I, I, I am, um, I'm, I, I understand uh, Portuguese quite well and, and speak a good amount. So, no, there's, there's nothing lost in terms of context. Or uh, the only, the only difference there is the, what level of reality are you operating on? Yeah. And, you know, what I mean by that, if you haven't figured it out, listener, is that uh, Costa's delusional. He wants that rematch right away and, you know, this and that. I'm not making excuses, but litany of excuses. The Johnny Hendricks playbook. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that shit, dude. Like, you're yeah. not going to get an immediate rematch. Stop that. You got to fight somebody else now. And just focus on that and move. Yeah, where does he go from here, though? Because, you know, he, he fought Yoel Romero, big bad guy. It, you know, like... What exact? Where exactly does he go here? Because I, I almost feel like, unless he absolutely starches guys, he's not going to be impressive enough to overcome really being picked apart by Adesanya, such that he would get a title rematch. Right. So there's a few pieces at play here, and I'm glad you brought that up because um, he is in a curious position. He did the smartest thing so far that he's done uh, since the loss to Adesanya was call out Robert Whitaker. I love the match because personally, either one of them with a win could easily find himself in a title situation, right? Be, you think so? Uh, the number one contender. Easily, you know, potentially. Potentially. Look, there's a lot of moving pieces as well. Look, who else is out there right now at middleweight? Romero is out of the picture as he's shoved off the Bellator. It's very possible that there may not be anyone else and that the winner here could, if they are impressive enough, as you stated, they might end up getting another title shot. Um... It's going to be tough because Whitaker did lose that in as devastating a manner. Uh, but then again, so did Casa. Like, it's not like either one of these guys lost twice to Israel and they'd be shut out forever. Other than that, maybe Cannoneer with another win, but he just got, you know, he just got outclassed by Whitaker too. So, like, he'd probably be two wins away if that. I'm not sure. But I would still think that this is the biggest name that he can fight right now that is positioned well enough that with a win, he could have a stronger case. Not a guarantee, but a stronger case to get himself back into the title picture. And that's still assuming that Adesanya sticks around because now he's moving up to fight at light heavyweight against Jan Blachowicz. Suppose he wins the title there. He may very well relinquish the 185 belt. Um, you know, as much as fighters like the idea of having two straps, uh, it's not always in the UFC's best interest because of their desire to schedule more fights more frequently. It doesn't – it ceases right. to uh, – 
to, to keep the kind of activity and flow going that they would need to keep a, a champion on each one of their pay-per-views, which is a tactic they've so doggedly stuck to. Yeah. Uh, now, going back to Adesanya a little bit, it, it, if we're talking about Whitaker and, uh, and Costa, I almost feel that they both need two wins in order to, I guess if one of them is super impressive against the other, then, then yeah. But I almost feel like they need two wins because they were dominated so, so much by, by Adesanya. Remember, Costa went two rounds with Adesanya, right? Right. And Whitaker went two rounds. So we're not – I mean, they didn't even make it to the championship rounds with Adesanya. And so they got pieced up pretty good. I, it, it's hard for me to imagine that they'll want to um, – that, that the USC will, will want to get them in there. On the other side, you've got Adesanya – who of all the people that are doing the champ champ thing, I think he's the most likely to do both divisions simply because he, I don't think he's going to bulk up a whole lot to 205. I think he's, I think he's going to walk yeah, into the cage. He's probably going to cut less. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to cut anything. I, I th- it, from, from what I've heard, he's going to probably weigh around 200 pounds and walk into the cage at 200 pounds, <laughs> which like, is crazy. Which is crazy. Richita towards the end of his UFC middleweight run was walking in at like 183. Yeah. <laughs> he was barely just, you know, it's just like, I'll do a little cardio this week, you know? And so yeah, it's possible that he might do it. And, and they, there is, it, there's such a gap between the elite and the rest of the pack in both of those divisions. Cause look, I've got the rankings right in front of me. And so right now, as we're recording this, right. Number one, Robert Whitaker, number two, Paulo Costa. So even mathematically, it's like, yeah, I get it. Number right. three, Cannoneer who just lost to Whitaker. Number four, Darren Till, who is kind of in no man's land right now. Number five, Marvin Vittori, who just beat number six, Jan Hermans, uh, Jack Hermanson. I don't see Marvin, as good as that performance he just had was, I don't see him breaking through. Yeah. And I don't see anybody else that's in the top ten. You know, for, going for that. Darren Brunson, Kelvin Gaslam, Uriah Hall, Kevin Holland, maybe, might be able to crack into the top five. With an and then Chris Weidman at 11. I mean, come on. Like, once you hit the Chris Weidman thing, that's, that's, you slam the emergency brake on. You know what I'm saying? This is like, yeah. you just crank that thing and you turn the car around because there's no going back. Yeah. You know, of all the divisions, that's probably the largest gap between champion and number one contender. I mean, it's well, just. Well, it's either that or, or women's flyweight. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You always got to throw. You know, anytime you talk about talent gap or or gap between one and two or whatever, you, you always have to bring up women's fly because Valentina is, yeah, I mean, Valentina is crazy. It's not, dominant. Yeah, it's not an indictment on the division. It's just that's how good Valentina is, and, and yeah, you know that she's a very special talent. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you there. Um, so as we're as we're talking about light heavyweight, obviously the man that reigned over the light heavyweight division for a long time, John Jones, is going up to heavyweight. <laughs> Um, obviously we're, we're kind of moving on. We're, we're using 2020 as uh, support for whatever we say, looking forward. What is, what is John Jones going to do? I mean, I feel like, I feel like the money fight is him and Nganu, but that's not going to be for the title unless Nganu wins. And the fight that most people want to see that would probably also become a money fight just for that reason is him and Adesanya. And I don't feel like he's wanting to go back to 205. So talk about being in no man's land. I feel like he's in no man's land. 
it is weird, isn't it? For such a special once in a lifetime talent like him to uh, just say, you know, I, I don't like this guy. Therefore I'm not going to give him the pleasure of fighting him. Um, very strange. Very strange. He finally makes a move up to heavyweight, but it's how it's on the ass end of him getting two very, very, very controversial wins in fights that, unfortunately, I mean, I, I'm not even saying this because of any personal animus towards a man or anything like that, but I think he lost both of those fights, man. I, the Tiago Santos fight, I definitely think he lost. The, the, the Dominic Reyes fight, yeah, he kind of lost that one, but it's the, the case for me is not as strong as the Tiago fight. And this is a guy who's, you know, um, a dude who used to fight at middleweight and both of his knees were shot. It's not a good look. So now is the time when the talent is finally catching up to you, when you're finally being figured out on a different, in, in a different manner than what Gustafsson seemed like he was doing the first time around. Where do we go here? Okay, cool. You know what? I've vanquished all the threats. I'm moving up to heavyweight. But you've got that kind of, you've got these asterisks around him, right? You've got the drug test failures. You've got, you know, the behavior outside of the case. Like people are kind of wondering, is this going to affect him? Is this going to be a problem? Will this be brought up again? Um, and as we've seen time and time again, he's game. You know, he's ready to get back in there and, and, and do whatever. But the problem is, who does he fight now? If he fights Ngannou, I mean, it's, it's a pretty marquee matchup. But you want to have John Jones headline a pay-per-view. And they're not really big on having a, a, a non-title fight headline pay-per-views. So does he fight Stipe in the interim? Do they wait to see what happens with Ngannou? And then if he wins, he gets the John Jones fight. Uh, is that the fight that fans really, really, really want? Because – Excuse me, sorry. The main thing that I've seen that everyone's been clamoring for, that most people have been clamoring for with much more fervor, is the Adesanya fight. Yeah. Because here you have two singular talents, both of them uh, people who came in and exploded onto the scene. They both had, you know, this, this attitude and this edge to them, and they're uh, just very, very intense athletes. And now you have someone that you can say, okay, John might have, fought, uh, you know, he might have been on some shaky ground with the past two, uh, the, the past two opponents that he faced. But if he fights this guy, who is much more coordinated, who has the cardio, who has the takedown defense, might not have the muscle mass, but it hasn't stopped him from beating these other bodybuilder-looking dudes in the past. Yeah, guy, you know what, dude? Like this dude seems like a far greater threat than say a slower Ngannou who's got holes in his wrestling game, or you know. I, I don't know if he'd be able to overwhelm Stipe, how that would look. But, um, yeah, I, I think it really all depends on what the UFC decides to do because they've got him in a holding pattern. Yeah. I think if, I think if the UFC is smart, they put him straight away in with Stipe because that's really the only fight that makes sense. If you put him in against Ngannou, you're going to flame one of your stars out, right? Uh, you'll get that pay-per-view, but – but then you don't have anything else after that because because whoever loses that fight is pretty much a goner. John, if John loses, then you know where does he really stand at heavyweight? To me, he stands nowhere. Right? It just it really kind of does not work out for him. And if and if Ngannou loses, well now you know he's already lost to Stipe. You know, I think you I think you get two fights for Stipe if you put Jones in with Stipe first. Um, not fair to Nganu, I get it, but you know, if Jones isn't going to entertain Adesanya, then I want to see him fight Stipe. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, I think Stipe is the one that's going to come out smelling like a rose here because I think he can beat, we've seen him beat Nganu, and I think he can beat Jones as well. 
I think it's going to be a different ball game when he sees a guy that can hit like Stipe can hit. Remember, let's not forget, Stipe knocked out a true blue bona fide heavyweight off his back foot backing away, right? He slept Fabricio Verdum, who is a all-out, full-blown heavyweight, stepping backwards with a short hook. So at the end of the day, I think – I think Stipe is going to come out smelling like a rose. I think people are sleeping on just how good Stipe is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that too because, you know, the thing is that if we look at how hard Dominic Reyes was able to hit him in the pocket, you know, and, and John was able to wear some of that damage, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't fun. <laughs> he, didn't, yeah. he, 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 had, he struggled with that. And so you get another guy that hits like a truck and who's got more sound boxing than Dominic Reyes. Uh, who's who's able to uh, control his cardio? Who's able to uh, hold that pressure and wrestle? Uh, yeah, and it's and a different he, ball game, and, dude. I, I would can, agree. And and Stipe can anti wrestle, right? Some guys are good at just wrestling. Some guys are good at anti wrestling, which is you know we're going to keep this fight standing, or they can use their wrestling to get into the positions that are favorable to them, either on the ground to wrestle and do ground and pound, or keep it on the feet. And I think Stipe is very, very good at that. Whereas John Jones, you know, if he has to stand and trade with Stipe, that feels like a long night out. Yeah. A few things would have to go really, really wrong for him to style on him. You know, things would have to go wrong for Stipe. I should say it's not, um, you know, let's, let's not, let's not ignore the guy and the progression that he's made. He's had a, he's flourished brilliantly in his career. And, um, I, I don't – I think he's a far smarter fighter than people give him credit for. I think it's just he doesn't oh, yeah. have that – he's not looking for that loud superstar factor, so he doesn't quite possess that. And a lot of people overlook a lot of the things that he does best. Um, I, I'm just – I'm sad that it doesn't um, – that, that he's not really given the kind of respect that I feel the UFC should be giving him. And really, it would be a boon to him to have Jones off the bat because he's a champion. He'd be fighting a former champion who did not lose his belt in the cage. It's like it's it's easy money for you to say, okay, here's not quite champion versus champion, but in spirit it is, right? right. Because he's a guy who just simply decided to drop the belt and he gets in there, immediate title shot. I don't think too many people would complain for him to go in there and fight the number two who would be in Ghana. I mean, it could work, I guess, but, you know, they don't really operate on merit. It's really on what makes the most financial sense. I think that that's been maybe the biggest money fight that you could get for a Stipe right now, and I, I'm not sure that they really want to reward him, so to say. Uh, I, think from, I, I don't know. I, I think from a money perspective, I think the Jones fight, if Jones is not going to fight Adesanya, which it appears he isn't, the big money fight for the UFC is him and Stipe for the title, Right. Or him and Ngannou, but again, then you kind of you kind of you kind of crush one golden goose, right? And for yeah, Stipe's sake, for Stipe's sake, he's gonna make a hell. Stipe's if I'm Stipe, right? I'd be campaigning to fight Jones because that's gonna net him a heck of a lot more money than Ngannou. Not to mention he's already beaten Ngannou, so I don't think he feels the same. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's easy money, but you know, I, I still got to get in there with a guy who hits like a truck. Yeah, I, I suppose that we also have to factor in, you know, is Stipe getting pay-per-view points? That's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. It's possible that he might. Maybe he's not. Um, it's very likely that he might, you know, have some sort of negotiation for a flat fee that 
you gamble on yourself. Like look at what Ryan Bader is doing right now. Like you'd much rather do, you know, make 200 grand guaranteed than roll the dice on a pay-per-view, you know, which you don't really know what kind of um, advertising. I mean, this is something that I've mentioned. I mentioned on Twitter as early as, 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 uh, as late as earlier today, uh, BT sport has an excellent promo on the McGregor fight. It's truly focused on McGregor. It's this cartoon thing. And I said, you know, look, these P- BT sport is more invested in actually promoting the UFC than the UFC itself, because they're not going to do you any favors. Like, look, this is these three letters are what you're going to buy into. And that's it. Like it or leave it. When they could actually push and promote some of these stars a little more and make more money, you know, Stipe would benefit from, from having more pay-per-views, but they don't seem to really care since they're getting this, massive uh, cash influx for uh, the uh, ESPN deal that we've got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and the UFC has always been, you know, they, they've, they've, I think they've learned their lesson, so to speak with McGregor, who's become a star that really transcends the UFC brand. And, um, and they realize that that can become very expensive very quickly. So, well, uh, so we know, need to, we need I, to make sure that the UFC those, you're, like you said, those three letters are what people are buying, not... Well, they got, they got lucky. And by, by lucky, I mean Connor self-sabotaging and throwing the dolly at the bus. That was the only way they could really get him under control. And that, to them, must have been a godsend because that's, that's you know, no more boxing, no more anything. Now you're on a short leash. Yeah. And um, I suspect it's still like that to a degree, even though he's, you know, got certain sway. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a tremendous figure, but... Uh... But yeah, his, his his flame has flickered a little bit since the whole Dolly incident. Um, yeah, that's putting it generously. Yeah. <laughs> hey, before we go down to the lower divisions on, on the men's side, let's look at the women's side. Um, I know they're trying to do – well, let's start at the top. Amanda Nunes and the featherweight division. Okay, let's move on. Amanda Nunes yeah. and the bantamweight division. It's really unfortunate that we don't have um, – any real featherweights have never really developed that division. They don't even have rankings for it. Um, as a featherweight, who would you most like Amanda Nunez like to see Amanda Nunez fight? Since there's no rankings, you can pick anyone from any organization anywhere. Heck, if you know about Tammy down the street and you think she'd give her a good scrap, you can nominate her. I don't think there's any real featherweights available other than Anderson, and I don't know that she'd be able to give her as competitive a fight as she. As, as you know, we would want, uh, and that's not a knock against Anderson. She just started in the fight game way later, and I mean, she's she's you know she's charming, she's smart, she's really got a good head for this game. I remember I interviewed her a couple of years ago, and, and it was she's it's, she's got a sense of dedication that is unshakable. Um, but the talent gap again, and she's the only fighter that I see there that's actually a 145. Like Norma Dumont got signed, but she's really you know I think she's back down to 135 at this point. Yeah. You've had a few people like Tanya Evinger who was mostly good at 135. And then, you know, by the time she got to the UFC, uh, a lot of the wear and tear of the fight game kind of got to her. And she didn't do as well as she would have hoped. And she got crushed in that fight by Cyborg. This was a division that was created for Cyborg. Let's not make any mistake here. Yeah. Um, and that never really seemed to, you know, it was cursed from the beginning when we had the, uh, the Randami versus home fight. And that was a stinker. And with that was rife with controversy. Finally, we eventually get, well, what, Jermaine drops the belt, Cyborg gets it. And then, of all things, she's the one who gets knocked out. The woman who looked indestructible for well over a decade and a half. You know, it's insane. But uh, now she's out of the picture and she's with Bellator for probably good reason. Um, 
I don't know really other, they can't, I, I don't know why they haven't tried to shutter the division. I don't yeah. see anybody else that they can, I don't see, there's no hot free agent at 145. Like where, where are we? And I don't quite know why that is because there's so many women that have like this average frame and that could be fighting comfortably at 145, but you don't really see them in MMA. I think a lot of the smaller women are the ones that have been competing. A lot of the, um, we're seeing less and less of these women that start getting into combat sports after high school and college. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot more of them that start getting into grappling earlier. They start, you know, boxing their dad's garage when they're eight. And then they start having a little bit more of the, the formative period starts far younger. And, and, and their development is much richer because we're not in the pioneer days. We're not even in like, you know, things how they were in 2014, say, where, you know, women weren't getting too many fights because there wasn't as much exposure. Now there's gyms everywhere. And women can train everywhere. They can find high level coaches in any major city in America. Um, but it just doesn't seem to happen for 145, and I'm not quite certain why that is. I, I just I wish I had some explanation, but I don't. I would, I would, you know, I don't. Uh, it's not often that I. In fact, I can't think of any other time that I would say this. But I would have loved to have been inside the head of Dana White when he set up the 145 division, because you're right, it was set up for Cyborg, and the, he he brought the 145 division to the UFC for Cyborg. But then the acrimonious relationship between Cyborg and the UFC and the lack of bringing in more talent, um, you know, he only, I think at any one time, he didn't have any more than 20 featherweights on the roster. Well, you can't have a division with just 20 people. And uh, I I love Megan Anderson. And I think she's probably the closest one to give Amanda Nunes a fight, but you know, geez, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what the formula would be for her to beat Amanda Nunes because Amanda probably hits harder. Amanda would probably be better on the ground. Uh, in scrambles, Amanda would be better. I mean, I just – it's She's faster. She's, she's faster. more spry. Yeah. I mean, I just – I just don't – I don't see it. You know, I, I, I'm at a point with Amanda and kind of with Valentina as well where I think the only thing that's going to stop them from winning a fight – is themselves, uh, an injury, uh, not caring, you know, not, not really putting in all the training. Although I don't know how the hell that would happen, especially with Valentina, because it seems like that's all that chick does is train and she doesn't care who the next person is. Valentina truly has that mentality of every opponent is a faceless, nameless opponent. They are just an opponent that she has to beat. She doesn't seem to get caught up in anything that the other person brings to the table. She just trains her ass off, executes a game plan. And and actually, I don't think she executes a game plan for that person. She executes her game plan over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And the talent cap is why you can do that. I think we've we've essentially covered women's featherweight and flyweight. (laughs) And there's there's two and one right there. Yeah. Moving down a little bit, a little bit further to straw weight, and I do want to touch on Adam weight because I don't know as much about Adam weight as you do, but I, I do want to touch that. Wiley Zhang is fighting Rose Namajunas. That's the next uh, straw weight big fight, right? Am I right about that? It seems to be there, that's still being talked over. It's either that or perhaps Wiley fighting Carlos Esparza. So that's those are the three names that are in the uh, in the hat right now. Wow, I don't. I don't know that I want to see that. I don't, I don't know that I want to see Wiley against Carlos Barza. I feel like I'd watch I, it. 
Yeah. No, don't get I'll me wrong. I watch it. I would run. Yeah. I'm, I'm a degenerate. I'll watch it. But I feel like Wiley versus Carla has a lot of Joanna versus Carla. And that was almost uncomfortable because Carla is extremely tough, I think. But her stand-up is not going to withstand. It didn't withstand Joanna years ago. And I don't think it's going to withstand Wiley either. That seems like a bad idea. Well, here's the thing. Carla has improved, and she did have a short notice. Uh, well, not a short notice. She didn't have a full camp. She was going through a bunch of stuff with a quick turnaround in that uh, fight against Joanna. So um, I don't think it's going to be that – I don't think it's going to be that one-sided. I do think that she's at a serious disadvantage in a few areas. But I don't want to completely write her off because I've seen the work that she's done. I'm a believer in the work that Colin Oyama and his crew have uh, – been able to do with some of their guys and, and the improvements that I've seen from, from pretty much all these other cats. And she's got a good stable training partners. He might actually pull it off. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's one of those things where I at least want to see her try because there's a very compelling case for her to be able to do far better than most people expect. Yeah, that's, that's true. She has improved quite a bit since then. Um, I will tell you this. I don't care who the, who gets the next shot and I don't care what this person's recent run of fights is, but just make Michelle Watterson fight for the title. I, I don't care if she's on a two-fight losing streak. I don't care if she matches up terribly against Wiley. I don't care if it's against Rose. I, I don't care. I want to see Michelle Watterson get her, get her shot at the title. I feel like she's deserved it for a while. And while I don't have tremendous hopes or I don't think she'd be a favorite against Wiley Zhang, I still want to see it. Uh, I think it'd be great to see her get a title shot. Maybe. I'm not sure she's quite there yet, but I mean, I'm, I suspect it wouldn't be that difficult with another one for her to get that. I agree, but I'm going to be biased because I think she's, I, I just love, I just love watching her interview. She's just the happiest person. I mean, you know, Roxanne is the happiest person on the planet. Roxanne Modafferi is absolutely no, no. the happiest. <laughs> she's the happiest person I've ever seen ever. But there's something yeah. about Michelle Watterson that is just – I just want to see her get a shot. So I, I'm, I'm admittedly being biased, but oh, well, you know, so be it. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the men's side. Let's uh, work our way uh, down. Let's start at welterweight. We already talked about middleweight and light heavyweight. Uh, you know, at middleweight, Kamaru Usman's a great champion, and I, and I think he's going to be champion for a while. Uh, he's, his striking is getting better. His wrestling and, and his ability to control people is insane. I, I don't know who's going to be next for him. Uh, they, have they said who's – he's not signed for a title fight just yet. It's supposed to be Gilbert Burns at some point, right? Yeah. It's uh, fairly soon. I think it's in March. I think they might have finalized that. I'm, I don't quite remember, but uh, I remember seeing something about that. So, yeah, it should be that. That's gonna be that's gonna be a good fight. Um, excellent fight. And, and excellent, the, excellent fight. The other fight that I really want to see in the welterweight division is Colby Covington and George Masvidal. Um, look, that fight sells itself. What are they waiting for? I don't know. I think it's money. I think the holdup is money. I mean, really, you know, Jorge deserves. A uh, fair payday, and you know Covington. They don't seem to have that kind of love for him that he wants to project that they have. 
it's an easy thing to sell, like you said, you know, because of the, the they've already got the instilled few. They're finally at a comparable point in the division. Sure, why not? I mean, I'd watch Masvidal fight Leon Edwards right now. You know, like that. I think that would also be a great fight. But uh, I don't know. Fine. Like, I think this is more a matter of like, look, at least this dude is going to. What has very cringe, but at least he'll be able to shut up this other guy who's been in a, just a, a very um, relatively stale and one-note uh, loudmouth to a lot of fans who don't seem to have that kind of love for him. Cringe versus cringe. In a way, I mean, you know, what is kind of cool, but he's gone. He's gone off the deep end with this political stuff to the point where it's like, oh, okay, buddy, you, you've you've we forgot why we were even here to see you, and uh, this is a problem. Yeah, I think he's outkicked his coverage. I mean, I think he's gotten to the point where he thinks his popularity um, absolves him of, you know, all of a sudden gives him the right to try to be a political figure. And you can do that. You can expand. I don't mind someone sharing their thoughts on things and, you know, having opinions that are different from others. But when you see that this dude falls for like every fake image and every, every like easily debunked thing you're like okay your your view of the world is rooted in team mindset and not an ideology that's formed based on a worldview uh from you know facts and consequences and, and checks and balances and so that really um it, it's really unfortunate because like dude how can you be so loud and wrong about every single thing it just doesn't make sense to me i, I don't you know, but I mean, you know, it's the way of the world, unfortunately. Some people just can't be helped. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of the beauties of this world. And sometimes we have to hear it, right? It's that, that free speech thing. Sometimes we kind of wish we didn't have it. <laughs> no, no, no. The free speech is fine. The problem is that there's, there's consequences to that speech. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's not, I don't, I don't think anyone, should, I don't think he should be limited from expressing his opinion. I want him to read a book. <laughs> I want him to learn and be and, and, and do, I want him to like, you know, all this, you have all this access to the information. The internet is right there for you, my guy. Like you can find that maybe some of the stuff you might want to challenge some of your beliefs. Yeah. And there are people that just don't. Yeah. He does not get himself educated. Uh, hey, let me ask you, one of the breakout stars of 2020 was Hamzat Shemaev. And I'm curious your thoughts on him, where he kind of falls in the, in the not necessarily in the rankings, but like where do you want to see him go next? I always get kind of torn with guys like this. Like sometimes I want the UFC to bring him up nice and slow so that we can really get behind the guy and really learn the story and see what he can do. And then sometimes I'm like, hey, this guy's great. Put him in there with with Leon Edwards or put him in there with Colby Covington. You know, let's 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 put feed him to the fire and let's go. You know, because this guy's all that in a bag of chips. Where do you fall on Hamzat Chimaev? Yeah. Well, here's the problem. He fought Reese McKee, who's a very promising young prospect out of Europe, but still very green and rough around the edges. And then he went in there against, uh, I believe it was John Phillips, was it? Yeah. I can't quite remember right now. Yeah, John Phillips and, you know, no disrespect to the guy, but, you know, he's not really not really anything super special. Then he knocks out Gerald Mearshart, who's not known for having an iron chin exactly and not known necessarily for having the best stand-up. So you're going to rush this kid. And this is what happens. They, they don't really protect their prospects, you know, unless it's someone like Giga, uh, Giga Chikadze, who I mentioned um, recently on the Level Change podcast where we talked about how, 
you know, he was one of the few guys that they brought in from contender series and have slowly nurtured him and brought him along. And, you know, he's, he's doing okay. He's quietly racking up some wins and that's fine, but they really want to see these guys who rack up these big finishes against lower level guys and think that they're going to be able to replicate that when they toss them into the deep end and they won't, it just doesn't. We saw what happened with Edmund Shabazian. Yeah. We're going to see that happen with this guy. Leon Edwards is not a joke. This dude is a very complete, very well-rounded just a, a very talented guy. Pardon me. My allergies have been kicking my ass all month. Um, I, I I just don't really think he gets past Edwards. I think Edwards wow. has the anti-wrestling. I think he's got the, the striking chops. <clears throat> he's got the defense. He's got the chin. He's got the sort of things like, I like to compare this and, and you're a baseball guy. You're, you're from New York. You remember this Chuck Knobloch. Mm-hmm. You remember what Chuck Knobloch was famous for? What would he do? He'd when this, when, when the pitcher was winding up, he'd stop. Adjust his gloves. Ready? Let's go. Stop. Adjust his hat. Stop. Fix his sock. And that sort of thing would throw the pitcher off. His, his whole vibe would be messed up. You know, and, and Edwards has ways of doing that. You stop the guy before he starts. You catch him on his back foot. You catch him as he's moving forward. You hit him with a hook off the pivot. You leg kick him when he thinks you're going to go for, uh, for a takedown. All these things are there. All these tools and abilities are there. And Shemaev, as good as he is, uh, I think he's still just very, very raw. He's had the benefit of feasting on some of the lower-level guys and looking brilliant against them, but you have no guarantee that he's going to look like that against anybody that's in the top, let's say, five right now. Can he do that sort of thing against Wonderboy? No, I don't think so. Can he do that against Masvidal or even Tyron Woodley, who's at number six? I don't know. I doubt it. And, and this is the Woodley that I think, frankly, is quite shot. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. It's it's weird. I, I, I I'm really torn – and I think, you know, Leon, I think setting up Leon Edwards and uh, Hamzat Shemaev is actually a, a lose-lose for both guys. For Leon Edwards, if he wins, he's not going to get a whole lot of boost because aside from adding to his win streak uh, here recently, which currently sits at eight, I believe, it, it's not going to do much for him because the guy's ranked 14th, right? And he's got three fights in the UFC. And for Hamzat, ironically, he's not going to get a boost from it either unless he absolutely flashes brilliance because somehow Leon Edwards doesn't command the respect uh, of, a, of a top five fighter. And I'm with you. The thing that's so impressive about Leon Edwards is he's very unorthodox. So whereas, you know, his standup is very crisp, very good, but he does do a lot of stuff, you know, uh, kind of counter to what you normally see. And he's always kind of giving you what you don't expect. The leg kick when you're expecting uh, a one-two, things like that. He's, he's very, very difficult to figure out. And he's developed into really a, a quite a jigsaw puzzle in the striking game. Uh, so as much as I want to see the fight, because, well, I always want to see the fight, I, I feel like it's a lose-lose for both guys. The only upside is if Hamzat just runs right through Leon Edwards, which I'm with you. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's going to be a lot of surprise because nobody falls for the hype on of that that the UFC creates for a fighter like the UFC. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, you mentioned Tyron Woodley, and that's an interesting one. Um, I, I, I wish Tyron Woodley would do more wrestling. Um, I'm I'm really nervous that he might be. Uh, a little shot worn and, and, and maybe not, not for the, uh, 
the top five anymore. Um, what's a good matchup for him going forward? I don't know, dude. Good matchup for him would be, you know, training at his own gym and stepping out. That's that's I don't see anything good for him, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it looks it looks tough. Um, Kiesa and Magni are fighting this week, next week. I think it's next week. I can't. So time is time is fluid for me right now, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is it you can't ask me these questions while I'm sober. You can't you can't do that and expect me to stay coherent, Jack. <laughs> I thought maybe it was because we haven't had UFC for two or three weeks. I'm kind of lost too. Cause it's like, it's really weird to not have a fight card to look forward to every single weekend. Oh no, I'm always this terrible. <laughs> um, well, anyway, Kiesa and Magni uh, are, are up next. Uh, it's probably the, it, that's probably the biggest fight uh, other than Leon Edwards and Chimaev. If that happens, uh, I think they've pushed that back to March, right? And obviously the title fight, but I believe so, yeah. Maya and Kiesa, Maya and uh, I'm sorry, Kiesa and Magni. Uh, I feel bad for both of those guys because I think a win, even though it would be a great a great win for them, I don't think that really gets them into the top five. What do you think? I don't know, dude. I don't know, especially with the rest of the movement and the division. It seems super. Um, and of course, looking at who does the rankings, I'm not sure how that works for anybody. So I, I really don't know that I have an answer for that until you know we actually see uh, any sort of actual uh, you know any sort of traction in the cage. I mean that that's really going to be it. So uh, yeah, I think it depends on how they look. You know. Yeah. Yeah, both yeah. of those guys deserve deserve uh, you know with a win. I think they both deserve a top five uh, a top five guy. I just don't know that they're going to get it. Because those top five guys are all kind of matched up with each other. Um, let's move on to lightweight, where Khabib is still the champion, although he says he's retired. We've got Poirier <laughs> McGregor. <laughs> we've, we've got Poirier McGregor in, a, in in about ten days. I think, I think they're going to make Poirier McGregor for an interim title by the time we get to the twenty third. Um, Let's start at the top. Is Khabib done or not? I think he's done. I think that's it. He's done. Look, a lot of people say they're done, but Dana White is a toad. He doesn't understand that you can't just throw money at people to make them do what you want. Even if you throw more money, there are people. Um, He's made and hopefully – he's made and hopefully saved – a fair amount of money and has other avenues to, uh, to, for his income. So I don't really think he needs fighting. I don't think he wants to keep doing it if he's done and he's still young and he wants to live his life and just be a dad. I'd understand that too, man. Listen, if I had a couple of million sitting in the bank, I'd fuck off and stay home and be a dad too. Cause that's my favorite shit right there. That and that and training, that's all I want to do. Just give me that. Let me play video games and, and do this shit and read books. I'm, I'm good, Jack. I, this is, let me explore, man. Let me just see the world. And that's what he's – he has that – Lose me again? <laughs> yeah, just momentarily. Yikes. Okay. That's okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that's that. I think Dana's just not used to guys really sticking to their word, and he's misreading this as, oh, I just got to throw another $2 million and he'll take it. And it's like, no, they, this is more a sign of Dana and the UFC needing Khabib 
more than Khabib needing them. Yeah. Because he is the biggest superstar by far. You can have, you can keep your Conor McGregor. This guy in the Muslim world, this man has been a phenomenon that the UFC could never expect. They stumbled upon it accidentally. And here it is, you know, here, here's this guy and he's deciding to walk out on his own terms and they don't know how to do that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think he's, uh, I think he's going to stay retired. Um, he's got more money than, than he ever dreamed he would have. And, you know, when, when mom says, don't do this without your dad, I mean, shit, it's not, it's not his buddy, you know, it's not his buddies telling him not to fight. It's his mother. And he, you know, he's a very close knit family man. And, you know, I can, I can see that being done. You know, he, he doesn't like the, he doesn't like the idea of, uh, of rematches. Uh, but <clears throat> You know, you so the only real options for him if he doesn't want to rematch somebody is Charles Oliveira and, um, you know, Dan Hooker, Tony Ferguson, maybe. Uh, but the Ferguson fight, he probably doesn't want to deal with that anymore. Uh, Oliveira probably doesn't get him out of bed in the morning, and Hooker's probably a couple fights away. So, you know, the only other thing would be money, right? And that would be McGregor. And I don't think he wants to go through that again. So I, I think he's done. I think there's a fair chance that by the time we get to the 23rd of January, they uh, designate that Poirier-McGregor fight as an interim title fight. See, I'm not 100% certain. And I'll say that because they really want to keep that flame on for Khabib because they know they really want to pursue this and, and, and they're going to keep going until, I don't know, until it's, it's just untenable because they really think that they're going to be able to entice him to come back for more money because of, pardon me, because of how much money he's able to make for them. Right. Um, <clears throat> who do you match up Charles Oliveira with? I mean, I feel like, if, I feel like if you're Charles Oliveira at this point, you just kind of sit and wait and get a title shot. But with the champ saying he's not the champ and there being no interim champ or no interim fight forthcoming, Oliveira is really in a tough spot. Who does he fight next? The only fight right now in the top five that makes any sense for him. He just beat Tony Hooker, who's uh, Tony Hooker. <laughs> he just beat Tony Ferguson, who's number five. And Connor is at number four fighting. Uh, Dustin, who's number two. So Oliveira at number three would probably have to fight Justin Gaethje. I mean, that's the only fight that's he's not going to go back. He's not going to fight in Hooker or Rafael Dos Anjos. It doesn't make sense for him to do that. Unless somebody is, you know, unless he's set to fight Gaethje and Gaethje slips on a banana peel and they have to have a late, late replacement, I don't see him fighting anybody else. But Justin also has an argument for not having to sit out and maybe getting another shot after the beatdown he put on Tony. Um, <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know. I guess it's going to be a matter of plug and play, whichever one the UFC deems to make them more money after the outcome of this uh, upcoming fight. And again, if it remains a non-title fight, you're still, you have an even bigger log jam at the top of the division because none of them is going to get the belt. Um, the other wild card in the division that I'm very excited to see is Michael Chandler. Now, when we've seen UFC guys go to Bellator, we haven't, how do I say this? It seems like we haven't gotten the best version of that guy when they go over there. I don't think we're going to have that problem here. I think we're very much going to get the best version of Michael Chandler here, but I'm not quite sure where he's going to fit in in this in this lightweight division. He fights Hooker next. Is is that is yeah. that is that fight signed and sealed or That is 
That's correct. Yeah, that's that's happening, uh, yeah. and that's happening fairly soon. I don't know. I, that's going to be interesting too, because Hooker brings another set of problems that uh, Chandler may be equipped to handle, but he's been through some serious wear and tear and some wars. Um, the only you, the only Bellator fighter, I mean, if you really want to call him that, that broke through and made it to the top of the UFC was Eddie Alvarez, and I mean, you know, that guy was an anomaly because he was dream and you know that eventually bellator and you know he's he was this 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 thing that wasn't quite he was the face of bellator for a little bit but he wasn't quite the homegrown talent um then you know just uh you you have someone here in chandler who has weaknesses and deficiencies uh his durability is up there but he can be put away and hooker is a guy that might be able to do it and figure him out I'm not quite sure where he goes, even if he wins against Dan Hooker, where he goes from here. I mean, is he going to be uh, relatively undersized against someone like uh, Justin Gates or Tony Ferguson? Uh, is he going to be worked by somebody like a Dustin Poirier with cardio and the uh, just all-around game? I don't know. I don't really like the possibilities for how he's going to be here because this is kind of the tail end of his career. I know he was coming in to be a – you know, a, a serious contender. So I'm not surprised he got a tough fight. But to me, Hooker's got to be just about the toughest fight he could have gotten um, simply because you, you, you're getting a guy who's ranked number six. So I don't think you're going to get a title shot off that win. But a guy who is as durable as they come, as tough as they come, and a guy who will stand and bang with you for 25 minutes, a guy who's been through the wars and understands what it's like to go through a main event fight. Uh, so it's not like Chandler will have that advantage over him. It really, I mean, talk about getting thrown into the deep end with no life preserver. That's it. I mean, that to me, that's the definition of the deep end. Yeah, it kind of is. I don't, it just doesn't look good, man. It's like you're really throwing this dude into the wood chipper and, hoping that he's able – and he took a gamble on himself. Like he's, he's, he admitted essentially to – we didn't quite use the word pay cut. He didn't use the term pay cut, but uh, he's, 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 he's taking comparably less pay just to be able to have the opportunity to be in the UFC and gamble on himself. There's a lot of uh, – a tremendous amount of uh, confidence in himself, and I respect that, but yikes. Um. Is there anyone in the lightweight division, not in that top five, that you expect to make a splash in 2021? I feel like lightweight is so deep. You've got guys all the way down to 15 that, man, you just don't know. One of them could make a run. You got you got your eyes on anyone? It's deep, but I don't see much fluctuation right now because the top five is – the top seven are so solid right now. And I'm not counting out Dos Anjos. I mean, you know, he's probably arguably – I mean, he's at number seven right now, but – you look at who else is there, dude. It's like, yikes. I don't see Paul Felder get popping in, sneaking out through the back door. Diego Ferreira could make some noise, but I don't really see him getting into the top three, at least not now. Ally Quinta, we've seen his limitations. Kevin Lee, same thing. Darius, same thing. Makachev, not quite there. I, I just don't – I don't see either one of these guys making that burst away from the rest of the pack to make that happen. I think my, I think Makachev might. If, if – if Khabib really does stay retired and Makachev becomes the focal point at AKA, I think, you know, obviously that's a very, very good camp. I think he could, by the end of the year, really be a guy that we're talking about possibly getting a title shot because, look, 
we've seen Khabib do it. That wrestling and that that hold you down and maul you tactic is uh, is it's it's effective even against the best strikers, even against the best submission people. And Makachev is you know learning from the very best, headed down that path. I think um, I think if he can stay healthy, he could be he could be a real problem. Especially like I said, now that he's the focal point uh, at AKA, I think you know iron sharpens iron. Let's see how it works out. I mean, it's certainly possible. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to featherweight. Where is 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 Alexander Volkanovsky the most disrespected champion we have? I mean, it feels like him and Jan Blahovich just get no respect. Um, part of it with Volkanovsky is he beat uh, a re- really popular guy in Max Holloway, a very personable uh, character in the UFC. Uh, you know, a guy that I think fans just naturally, you know, Max Holloway is a guy that they just, they just like to see on their screen. You know, uh, he's just uh, a fun guy. And Volkanovsky doesn't seem to get any, any respect after beating him twice. And really now he's got to fight Brian Ortega. And I, quite frankly, I think people will be more interested in Brian Ortega than uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. What do you think? I, I still think Stipe is the most disrespected champion, but I'll, I'll grant you this. Uh, I, it's This Ortega surge in support has more to do with how good he looked in his recent matchup and how he was able to outclass uh, Korean Zombie. And, you know, I don't really see much upward mobility for too many guys in that division right now, uh, other than right now Shane Burgos, Dan Ige, who's a sensation, Sadiq Youssef, perhaps, and, uh, you know, we're seeing Calvin Cater make some waves and, and kind of, you know, sneak in there as he's currently sitting pretty at number six. Um, other than that, I'm not sure that there's, you know, maybe Zabit might be uh, another interesting and complex challenge for Volkanovski, but I don't really, um, yeah, I, I don't really see anybody taking the belt from him right now. Not anybody in the top five, at least. With Zabit, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of weird with Zabit, right? Because he, he, he was a, kind of on that trajectory to a title shot. And now it's been, he didn't even fight in 2020. Boy, Zoom is really kicking us around. Um, The good thing is, the good thing is this has happened before and I know it's all recorded. So I'm not too terribly worried. I'm not worried, but I'm not happy. Okay. So, so who are you, who are you stating? uh, You were asking me if uh, somebody had fought in 2020. Zabit. Did Zabit fight in 2020? I don't think he did. I don't even remember. I don't think he did. He was out with some uh, injury, I believe, and I don't really know. Um, I'm not really sure that he's got – I mean, he's certainly got a lot of uh, – he's got great finishing instinct. I worry about his ability to endure the kind of physicality and pace that uh, Volkanovski can put on in the uh, championship rounds. I feel like Zabit was uh, was on his way to getting a title shot, and now I think he's actually taking a step back by not fighting in 2020. And uh, now I think he's gonna ha- he's gonna need one more fight before uh, before he gets that shot. And you know the way things shake out right now, most of those guys are already booked up. Uh, does Cater get a get a title shot if he beats Holloway this weekend? I don't think he'd get a title shot outright. Uh... He's probably one fight away. I, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't seem to me like it's um, – I'm just looking up here. Zebi did not, in fact, fight in 2020. So I just wanted I, – I would not have gone to sleep comfortably if I had left that alone. Um, 
No, I, I, I don't think that that really would be the case yet because, you know, you still have you still have Ortega and, and, and Yair in the mix. I'm not sure that that would really work out. I, I think he – I mean, he might get fortunate enough to, to break in as a young, fresh face, but I don't know. A lot of things can happen here. It's, it's, we're at the beginning of the year. It's possible. I don't want to write that possibility off. Yeah, I, I really like Cater. I like a lot of those Boston area guys. They seem to be – they seem to kind of be bubbling up towards a lot of those Boston guys seem to be bubbling up to the top of their respective divisions. So, uh, you know, I, I really like them uh, going forward. I'm really looking forward to the fight with Holloway this weekend. Uh, at Bantamweight, you got Peter Yan. He's Al Jermaine Sterling's finally going to get a shot at the title. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, uh, Cody Garbrandt, Frankie Edgar, Rob Fonami. You got a lot of a lot of good names. Um, I don't know who's going to be next for the champion. Should he? beat Sterling or who who would be next for Sterling uh, aside from an immediate rematch if if the fight kind of warrants it who do you think's the next up and comer there to to get a title shot I it's got to be Sanhagen I I'll probably hear no argument to the contrary this dude this dude is doing so well he's done so much in so little time I have to imagine that he'd have to be the guy well let me play devil's advocate here do you still give him a title shot of Aljamain Sterling just you know, let's let's say Aljamain Sterling runs right through Peter Yan. There's no talk of, of an immediate rematch. Is Sanhagen the first challenge for him? I would say so. Yeah. Really? We we just saw that yeah. fight not too long ago, and it it lasted less than a round. It'd still be interesting, you know. They've both improved since then, you know. And he's already like, what else does he do? He's not going to take a step back. I think with and the Aldo- UFC likes to get. They don't want it to. Yeah. I think with Aldo winning uh, his last fight against uh, Cheeto Vera, I think they may give Aldo another shot at the title. It seems like they like to give him shots at the title all the time. And the funny thing is, he might just take it. But <laughs> there's just something about Aldo where it's like the non-title fights are the ones where he shines the most. Yeah. And having him lose the featherweight title has made him made him even a greater buzzsaw, aside from the losses that, you know, the, that, that he suffered in that interim. The wins he's looked exceptional in. So, uh I don't want to dis. I don't want to discount anything when it comes to him, but I don't know. I don't really see him getting that shot. He'd have to probably get two really, really definitive wins for that to happen. Another guy that I feel is always one win away is Frankie Edgar. Who is he scheduled to fight next, or is he scheduled to fight someone next? I don't think he's scheduled to fight anybody yet. No. Um, I know there was some talk about him and Rob Font, but you know. I think yeah, if he, I remember he, that, but I don't know. If, I don't think it was. I, I don't think it was made definitive, and I don't really think that Edgar gets past Fon. Really, God, I don't. I yeah. you know, I thought I thought the same thing about Edgar against Munoz, and then he put on that performance against a guy who is really tough. And I don't. I've gotten to the point now where I've decided I no longer count out Frankie Edgar until he tells me he's done fighting. I'm not going to count him out. That's I respect that. That's fair. And then the flyweights, figgy, 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 figgy has been uh, super impressive. I think he's obviously with the with the draw with Moreno. He's obviously got to run that back. But who is who would be the next challenger for a title shot uh, after Moreno? I'm probably going to have to say Brandon Royval seems like the most interesting fight, but he's down at number six right now. I don't think they make that fight. 
Um, you know, I, I, I don't think Brandon gets past Figueredo. I, I just don't see it right now. I think that there was a very respectable and, and very uh, tight and close uh, fight that they had last time around. I don't think it goes the same way next time. I think Davison figures him out. And uh, probably another close bout, but I think he would uh, win pretty clearly. So, um, yeah, I don't – we saw the fight against Pantoj, and I don't think that things would be that different that in that one as well if they were to run it back. Uh, I'm just really interested in seeing Roy Vell's ascent and see what happens, or maybe if Cejudo decides to come back, but there's no guarantees on any of that. Yeah, it's 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 really a shame. The only fight I want to see uh, for Davis and Figueredo after Moreno is with Cejudo. I mean, I want to see that fight. And um, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen because I think Cejudo is playing a money game and the UFC is not going to play the money game or at least they're going yeah. to win the money game. Um, so I don't, yeah. I don't know that it's going to happen. I like Brandon Royval. Unfortunately, he lost his last fight, so I feel I feel like that now puts him, you know, a fight or two away from uh, from actually challenging for the belt. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still – I don't think he's near his peak yet, but I'll give it – just give it a bit of time. Yeah, true. Well, hey, man, uh, that's, uh, that's about it. We've stumbled through some technical issues, but we've talked a whole lot of UFC uh, – Victor, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. It has been a lot of fun same, man, talking, same. talking MMA with you. Why don't you go ahead and tell the fans uh, where they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, well, I'm uh, on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. Of course, I'm over at bloodyelbow.com. Um, just working on some more um, long-type projects, uh, very odd stuff, the bits and ends here, usually the funny stuff, but uh, – course we're at the level change podcast and uh, we're there every week and uh you know you can always find us on wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, spotify apple music uh, or apple podcast uh, amazon music all that good stuff soundcloud uh two cans and a string whatever the hell you got you know we're, we're there and uh yeah that's that's uh that's that's pretty much all i got man i just also recommend if anybody trains jujitsu please pretty please or sugar on top check out TheSlothReport.com. It's just how it sounds. TheSlothReport.com. One of my head instructors, my, one of my best buddies, Josh Vogel, he's got a, a newsletter there for five bucks a month. An incredible back catalog with so much technique and training and, and just sound advice. I mean, the dude is a gem. He's a gentleman. He'd really appreciate your shekels right now, so make sure you put a drop in his bucket. That's great, man. I'm going to have to check that out. I like uh, I like reading that kind of stuff. And uh uh, sharpening my jujitsu game, even though I don't do any jujitsu, right? But it's just nice to know how all that works. Uh, as always, folks, hey, you, can, you, you can reach me on Twitter as well at emontana21, and obviously you can catch this podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, all those all those uh, podcast platforms. Uh, once again, Victor, thanks a bunch. We're gonna have to do this again, maybe six months from now. We'll do it again. See how all of our talk from today is uh, is panning out. Yeah. I'll be more than glad to join you, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Sounds good. As always, folks, ignore the negativity. Be the positivity. Peace.